instructed in Scripture and encouraged to trust in the Lord. Uh, we're even encouraged to rest in the Lord, wait on the Lord, and see His faithfulness. So there's a, there's a quote here I have to bring up. They're going to bring it up to you right now um, from Augustine. And he said, You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And I just have just mulled on that, and I just kind of chewed on that, thought about that statement for a few years, actually. It's a good one. I keep coming back to it. Because God has made us for himself, and then our hearts are restless until we rest in him, until we really literally kind of get a breakthrough or take a hold of the truth of his love and forgiveness and the new life in Christ. And so we are going to be in Proverbs 3. If you'd like to turn there with me, we're going to work through Proverbs 3. Um, I have some favorite portions of Scripture. I'm sure you do too. This happens to be one that I tend to go back to um, frequently. It uh, I do well with... Um, Simple sentences that have deep roots. You know, can we all agree with that? Uh, there's just some portions of scripture that just, I think of it as a heartbeat and, or maybe even a, like a, a drum when it resonates. It just kind of like, boom, boom, you know. Um, this portion of scripture is one of those, a few, few of these verses that really resonate. I go back to them. I, I have a little guideline for myself when things get a little chaotic or, self-induced stress or whatever I however I want to categorize it but I just go back to basics let's just go back to basics you go back to the to who God is the simple certain truth of who God is and then what he's done for me and so I like to just I go back there every now and then sometimes just to keep my head on straight just to be able to to live and um, function and lead in the way God has placed me to lead and so this is a portion of scripture that I, I find myself settling into. So let's pray as we look into the word. God, thank you for your word. We do not take it lightly in regards to just flippantly or just something that we glance at. You have preserved the word for us. You have given us as your um, children, the apple of your eye, as your created beings. You've given us the capacity to comprehend and to process and to understand intellectually, to respond emotionally, and to realize spiritually your truths and your word, Lord. And so tonight, as we would consider just the things around us, the, the deep concern we have for other believers, other people, the deep concern we have for those who don't yet know you, those people in our world, and our lives, our circles, so to speak, Lord, we are concerned, deeply concerned for this generation and the generations to come until you call us home. We see darkness upon the land. It seems to be getting darker and darker. And so we know, God, you have called us and placed us. We're here for such a time as this to be illuminated by your presence. You give us the picture, the metaphor of a light. You are the light of the world. Your light is in us. We are the light of the world. And so, Lord, with all these things that we can work through and be aware of and even wrestle with and ponder, 
may you just teach us your word. Teach us what it means to trust in you, Lord, from your word, that we would know it. Teach us what it means, God, to rest in your faithfulness, to rest in you, God. So walk us through the word this evening. We just thank you in advance, Jesus, for what you'll teach us. In your sweet name we pray. Amen. Well, join me, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 3. And I would like to just read through verse 12. Um, Part of my logic with that, when I teach, whenever possible, this format's a little different, of course, than Sunday morning when we have more chairs out and more people and a different kind of engagement or interaction. Um, Here, you know, we can look at things different. We'll we'll finish a little different tonight than we would normally, than we would on a Sunday. But I like to catch the overall. It's like a flyover where you, you know, I got to fly into uh, the back country of Idaho um, out of uh, uh, Yellow Pine, Stibnite area, Johns Creek uh, landing strip where we flew into. But it was with a group called Idaho Friends of Mission Aviation Fellowship. Mission Aviation Fellowship flies around the world. They have since moved, since I'd made that trip with them, they've moved to uh, Nampa, and that they base out of there. But anyway, we I got to ride in in one of these uh, little Cessnas, these planes, on for the, the pilot candidates were being trained. And so when we were reading a strip, this it was actually a dirt road called an airstrip, really, and, and way back in there. So as you do it, you'd fly over it, and you'd circle around from normal, from higher elevation, and then you'd come down a little lower, and then you'd, so what you're doing is you're getting a view of what's below you, you're doing it safely working down, and then at one point you just do kind of a three-quarter speed, like fly by at the, just over the strip to make sure you're, way you're going to fly out of there and everything's cool, and then you touch down, and when you touch down, obviously you walk around, and it's always stuck with me, it's kind of how we go through scripture. We want to have an awareness of of the of the content, but in its context. We want to see it from above, but then we want to come down to it and then kind of see what's a little more visible and you know what we can take hold of. So we'll, I want to catch the context, of the, the overview, by reading it together and then come back and just look at it a piece at a time. I do that as a personal practice. It's the way I read the Bible 90% of the time. I read I want to see the overall, and then I want to come back and look at it. So I'll encourage you to consider doing likewise. Well, let's read verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So let's now just, re, just run right back over to verse 1, and we'll kind of 
look at this and see if we can you know, pull out some application. And my, my desire as we go through this is we would just be encouraged in the foundation we have as Christians. And maybe for some, it's just a, it's a fresh or maybe even a new view and look upon these things and thinking through how the truth we have here brings stability, brings hope. It's a foundation that we can can stand on. If you think that picture, think of that picture, you know, when you're on unstable ground, it's just hard to keep uh, your balance in the storm. When the winds come up and things are happening, you find yourself kind of sinking and slipping. So these things I hope we can just see as some foundational truths that help us in the midst of challenges and in a very unstable world. Do not, my son, do not forget my law. This seems kind of an obvious one, right? Don't forget. And, and it, it, law speaks of, uh, of uh, in the Old Testament, you're seeing precepts, uh, direction, my instruction, um, his instruction, of course. Forget, you don't want to ignore, you don't want to lose interest in, you don't want to cease to care. Most of us can look at our lives, if we've been a Christian for very long, we can see times where we actually were inclined or, or tilted this way a little bit. Maybe we were distracted. Maybe we had uh, increased responsibilities and, and more of a demand for our time and the things we needed to do. Maybe it was opportunities that we were drawn to where we lose interest in his word, where we you know, cease to give as much care for it. I could have you raise your hands. We would all have to raise your hands. So we wouldn't go there. You know what I'm talking about? Do not forget. So sometimes, you know, forgetting something is sometimes a result of, of uh, diminished priority. It's just not as important as it used to be. And it's better, I believe, it's better to be humble and honest before God that you can make adjustments and he can show you how to make these adjustments he would make with you. It's much better to do that privately, I believe. It's much better to be open to it. I'm a guy who's worked on vehicles and motorcycles and just, you know, kind of one of the benefits of being poor, you couldn't pay anybody to take care of your stuff. And so what that resulted in, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But you had to learn to read the gauges. You had to learn to pay attention. You had to learn to, to make adjustments when you heard something wrong with the, the particular machine that you were working with. So once there was something brought to your attention, you dealt with it. But you didn't deal with something you didn't notice. You see what I'm saying? And so I want to make, encourage you. Just you know, It's possible that any one of us could, could um, lose interest in the Word of God. I want to say this. You know, it's not my job to come in and present a, uh, a captivating, invigorating, exciting message because I, I can't do that. You know, no pastor can teach through the Word of God and always have it, this life-breaking, life-changing, you know, emotional, f- fantastic thing. You, it can still be wonderful and great, but it's personal and it's intimate. Do you see why it's important? I know in our culture, the church... Because of our culture, the church is kind of forced to compete with the world. And, and we just, we don't compete with the world. We're, we're, we don't have to have the music and the presentation and the production and the flash and the lights and all that stuff. It's not what the church is called to be or to do. 
it's fine when we have that and we realize the value of it, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we are, you know, we, it says, do not forget my word. Don't lose interest in it. Many get caught up in other things and, and lose interest in his ways. As I said, we can all kind of see that. Notice he speaks of, you know, do not keep, but let your heart keep my commands. Heart speaks of the, the inner man. Yeah, the the will, the seat of emotions, your passions, your courage, resolution, determination. Um, have you noticed sometimes your mind is often contrary to the heart? So there's certain things deep down, they're kind of your character, your integrity, it's who you are. And you know that. But then your mind wants to go do something else. Because the mind is often influenced by the senses. You know, because... You know, it's sometimes nice to stay comfortable. It's sometimes nice to, you know, keep warm and cozy. And, you know, there's just certain things that we, you know, oh, I want it, but see, those things are okay as long as they don't steal from the heart. The heart's the one that really brings correction. It brings it to the mind. Because we're like, oh, I really like to go do this. Well, go do it. Well, I don't want to because it's not right. Well, how do you know it's not right? Well, it's not right morally or ethically. Well, how do you know that? Because in my heart, the word of God I know says, don't do this. So the heart is the one that kind of, you know, kind of get a little like this. Hurts the one that brings back up. And so I, I know it's, uh, the mind can often be contrary to the heart. But when the heart's set on God, the mind is submitted to the heart. God actually brings that that uh, stability, if you would. Verse 2, he says, In the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Just walking in the word brings uh, a deeper peace. Uh, it speaks of a completeness, a soundness, a, a, a contentment, if you would. And so it's not that there's not strife or turmoil and relationships in the world around you and all things going on, but there's what we I like to think of or see from Scripture as an inner peace. And it comes from submitting to the word. It comes from learning to what we would call walk with the Lord. It goes on to say in verse 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Um, forsake speaks of to loosen, to leave, or even to relinquish. So when it says here, you know, don't relinquish mercy and truth. Hold tight to mercy and truth, don't lose them, don't leave them. Bind them, it says. That speaks of to secure them, to be consciously aware of them. A good example is uh, when many people, when they travel, especially you know when they're maybe a little cautious, conservative, uptight, I don't know, <laughs> and they, they don't want to lose their stuff, and so they put a, a little lanyard around their neck, I wore one many times, with their passport in it, and then they put their passport inside their shirt, and they're doing all these things. Why is that? Because they don't want to lose it. You know, and I, I remember one time I had my passport and a large chunk of money because we were going to India, and, it, and we were just, you know, we needed to transfer money from here to there. And so as I'm traveling, I'm always doing this. I'm always physically verifying it's still there, even though I knew it was there. But there was just, I, but why? Why did I keep doing that? Why would that habit develop? Well, it was because it was important. It was necessary. A passport's necessary to get to the destination. 
And so it's kind of a sweet picture. I think mercy and truth are necessary for you and I if we're going to do well. We want to, we want to guard them. We want to take hold of them. We don't want to forsake them. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so mercy, you know, is, uh, you think about it, it's kindness. It's not getting uh, the punishment you deserve. So you ask for mercy. Maybe some of you have an older sibling. I have an older brother. When I was younger, sometimes he could catch me. And when he caught me, it was painful. Because he is a year older than me, and when we're like 5, 6, 7, 10, 15, I don't know, not quite 15. But, you know, we're, we just kind of went at each other. You know, anyway, so I remember several times he'd catch me, and, and he was stronger than me. So he'd pin me down on the ground. He'd put his knees up on my arms and my hands and get me, and he'd punch me in the face. Well, you can only move left and right. You can't do anything else. You can't move. So he's like, but I was, you know, I'm like you. I'm giving it my all. I mean, so he's hitting ground a couple times, and he's kind of going like this. What do I request? Mercy. He didn't just randomly pick on me because he was a bully. Imagine this. I was a little bit of a smart mouth. And so I would lip off to him and run off. And eventually he would catch me. And sure enough, then we'd go push each other around. Next thing you know, he decided it was time to rearrange my face. And I'm asking for mercy, even though I was due some punishment. Mercy is realizing, you know, I'm requesting not getting the punishment you deserve. Truth says here, let mercy and truth you know, be bound around your neck, but valuable to you. Truth speaks of um, stability, uh, foundation, consistency. Truth, in its most basic description and definition, is what really is. It's what really is. That's why we have a problem in our culture right now. Because people will say things like this. Well, that's your truth. And this is my truth. So somehow you can change what really is just by identifying with it differently. That doesn't change anything. Truth is what really is. And so it becomes a philosophical discussion. It becomes a subjectively driven, you know, reasoning process. But it's really an objective reality. This is what it is. We first started meeting. We met up at the um, Best Western Hotel for a few weeks. And somebody had visited and like I said, this is pushing 25 years ago. And this person come in, and I chatting with him after a little bit. He was just traveling through and seeing there's a sign for a church in the hotel. So we dropped in and had a good conversation. But he began to kind of expound on this little bit of a theory, a little bit of a thought. Well, I, I believe this. This is what I believe. And so he, he held what we know now was we call his truth. And it was very aberrant. It was very off base. And I said, oh, okay, you know, and we step out of the room, and the cars are all parked along the front there. And I said, uh, is this your car? And he goes, yeah. And I said, oh, wow, that's one of the new Chevys. He looks at me. He's got a blue oval that says Ford on it. And I go, yeah, those new Chevys are nice. I can tell it's a Chevy because of the slope of the window and the way the windshield wipers drop in. He goes, sir, it's a, it's a Ford. Well, I believe it's a Chevy. And he looked at me like, like my brother used to look at me. <laughs> he looked at me, but yet he's like, he goes, wow, I just never seen it that simply. 
because he was realizing that he was trying to make things fit what he wanted instead of realizing, I, I want to understand, I need to know the truth. So in regards to what we see here in this text, let these attributes be seen in you, seen on you. Let mercy and truth, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, which is, they're visible. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So concerning character, mercy, um, I would just say this, shutting out all forms of selfishness and hate. That type of character is how mercy is expressed. Shutting out all forms of selfishness and hate. Because the biggest interference to mercy and receiving or recognizing mercy um, is actually self. You kind of get to look at yourself too much. Uh, for truth, how it can be visible in regards to character, how it's expressed. Shutting out all deliberate falsehood, all hypocrisy, either conscious or subconscious. Just shutting out all deliberate falsehood. And I believe this is so important at a very private, personal, intimate level with the Lord. Because you know falsehood about yourself that you don't need to declare to anyone else. But you know certain things like, oh, I want to do this. But you really, like if I said, hey, I would, you know, I mean, you know what? I think Calvary Chapel, because we, where we're at, close to Anderson Ranch and C.J. Strike and the Snake River, we need to start a fishing ministry. And that way we can start connecting with people that want to be out. Because Jesus said to his disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. And he took them fishing. And clearly it's a biblical concept. So I think we should start a fishing ministry. And I could promote it. As you can tell, I get pretty excited about it. But I'm lying to myself. I'm using this public opportunity to, so I can go do what I want to do. It, it's a form of falsehood. Is that what's my motive? Why do I want to go do that? Well, because it's a way to reach people for Jesus. Well, yeah, but honestly, why do you want to do it? I want to go fishing. You see what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I need a new truck because, oh, I need this because. And you want to like check the motives, shut out all deliberate falsehood because that way we experience it and actually people see it. Because usually when we're trying to sell something to our spouse or whatever, um, they see right through it. They know exactly what the core drive is or the motive is. And so write them on the tablet of your heart. You know, as I mentioned, just the, the heart, the seat of the emotion, the center point, so to speak, of our soul, and, you know, it's, I believe, where we really need to be aware that, you know, it doesn't say write them on your mind because your mind's too easily swayed. It doesn't say value them as feelings because what we value as feelings can easily be cast aside. Rather, we're told, write mercy and truth on the tablet of your heart. And I think of it this way, make them the foundation for reasoning and the anchor for emotions. Make them the foundation for reasoning and the anchor for emotions. So mercy and truth go beautifully together. We're actually at risk without one or the other because mercy leans towards emotion. You know what? I just want to be merciful to them. And sometimes that that feeling is is more of a feeling than a, a real truth, if you would. So mercy can be kind of very soft, so to speak, and truth can be very harsh and cold. You could say to someone, you know, um, hey, let me, let me help you 
with learning and, and these different things, and I'd like to really help you in this subject. And that would be merciful because you're, you're really wanting help. Or you could speak truth. Dude, you're dumb as a post on this subject. That's a little brutal, ain't it? It's very true. But doesn't it take both? Mercy and truth. And so the two of them there, and they're the foundation and the reasoning and the anchor for the emotions. Mercy and truth properly applied reveal character and integrity, which is pleasant to God and men. Notice verse 4. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. We've all, I believe, been there, and we, we recognize that person with character or integrity that's kind but truthful as well. If they stand out more and more and more as the world around them becomes more self-driven, more hate-oriented, more you know, antagonistic, it, it is literally like you know, drawn down, but those with character, integrity, truth, honesty, they, they, the Bible says that you know, if you find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. Be confident, secure. Put confidence in. Be, to, hold, take, to be bold in. You know, trust in the Lord. Trust involves um, knowledge merged with experience. So the more you know someone, the greater the opportunity for trust to grow. Agreed? You know, you can want to trust someone, but if you're smart, you, you, uh, you ration that trust based on good reasons and not just blindly. Well, I'm just going to trust them. You know, um, if they're selling used cars and you're just going to trust them and they say, trust me, I'm just going to suggest you might want to guard your bank account. Okay. We, we understand there's a measure of trust. It, it, it's, trust is knowledge merged with experience. Who do we trust? Well, we trust in the Lord, Jehovah, the existing one. It speaks of the self-existent, eternal, unchanging one. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, is not a God or one of many gods. We know the Lord is the creator God, the one true God. I'm looking forward to go our, our study on, on Tuesday nights for the men, and well, women too, and then the women, there's another group that met this morning, and we're going through Colossians, and we're going to be looking at here there in chapter 1 on the second half, we'll be looking at Jesus is the creator, and he is the sustainer, the perfect provider, the protector. He is the one and true God, only true God. So we have the God the Father, uh, a triune God, one God in three personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triunity of God. And so we trust in the Lord, not just any religious figurehead, but the one true God. It's so important because when we trust in the Lord with all your heart, we learn to not lean on our own understanding. Because you really can't lean on your own understanding and fully trust Him, correct? But... You can't fully trust him. Maybe you can. I've never experienced it. To fully trust him just because I consciously want to. I want to, so that helps compel me to, but I got to learn to not lean on my own understanding. See, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is a gift according to 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that God gives a measure of faith to every believer. So with that, by faith, I'm learning the ways of God. 
And so it's like, um, it's like riding a bicycle. I remember, I can't remember, I think it was one of our kids, but I think my dad did this too. But they would teach you at some point with training wheels, right? So you have one on each side. And, and then they would take one side off and you'd learn to ride, lean into the one, but then you'd learn to get, you know, and then you could always just go back this way. Well, it's like when we begin this walk with Jesus, we got one training wheel off. And so we're learning, but we're still leaning over here. But after a while, we see it's trustworthy. And then, of course, eventually we take off the other training wheel. We're not leaning on our own understanding. But realize any step of faith you take, any time you're out of your comfort zone, you sense God's prompting and calling and, you know, invitation, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's gonna, and why is that? Well, but how will it work and what will happen? And, but what about this? Because this is your understanding. And it's not saying understanding's bad. It's just saying don't lean on it. Lean this way. Okay, God, I'm trusting you. Now teach me wisdom and knowledge and understanding so that I know I'm actually following you and I'm learning from you and I'm closer to you. You lean on something because you believe it will support you. So be careful what you lean on. Many people um, in our age and our, our culture, uh, you know, they lean on their bank account. Um, and I believe a bank account is is a uh, can be um, a clear indication and evidence of God's faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm talking about having money in the bank and maybe even having you know a little more than the average guy. So that's a, a I believe a way God has provided to many people and even you know just rewarded so to speak according to Proverbs of their you know their hands and their labor. But we don't want to get to where we trust on the storehouses the Bible speaks of. We don't want to get to where we're trusting in these things, leaning on them, and not trusting the Lord. So it's a matter of stewardship. Steward is, is a person that manages someone else's resources. And ultimately, the, the, the resources we have, whether it be in a, in a financial aspect or assets or whatever it may be, you know, you're not taking them with you. They're, they were somebody else's before you showed up, and now they're yours. You manage them, but they're his ultimately. And so we learn and realize, you know, we, we want to make sure we, we're learning to, to lean not on our, we're not leaning on our resources, we're realizing who he is. In all of our ways, it says in verse 6, in all of our ways, all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And it literally speaks of he will smooth it out. He won't make it um, paved. He won't make it in, you know, super. So he's just like so. Because if we could, if the easiest route was what this is saying, then we could always just take the easy route. But yet we're told that wide and broad is the path of destruction, and narrow and difficult is the path of righteousness. So we realize, well, okay, it's not just the smoothest way. But he says here, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct. Your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know, it's really cool because fear, fearing the Lord, I, as a young Christian, I think, man, that just seems so weird because I had a, a very uh, um, just distorted view about how, who God was. Um, part of it was from just 
type of humor. Part of it was from, you know, because I didn't grow up a Christian. I didn't grow up with really any spiritual influence in a sense of godly spiritual influence. And so my perception was often it's like, you know, God's just there. But if you get out of line, you know, you're going down. It's, it's going to, you know. So it was kind of this fear of an irrational, unknowable entity that could prove his power upon you at any moment he wanted to. That was my perception. Well, when I became a Christian, when I started reading the Word, I realized that's not God. You know, God, honest and true, just and merciful, you know, he's not one to be afraid of, but he is one to fear in regards to revere, hold in high regard, to to, uh, look up to, to be in awe of. And that's what it speaks of when it says fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it's like, okay, I I revere, I hold him in high regard and awe, higher than any, any other person. And fear the Lord and depart from evil. Evil is that which is contrary to God. And departing from evil is a rational response for anyone who looks up to God. If I revere God and I then entertain that which is contrary to God, I know entertaining what's contrary to God is going to interfere with the closeness I would have with him. It's not that he departs, but you understand it. When there's just something you don't want to talk about, you want to keep doing, but this person doesn't approve of it, you're like, you don't want to hang out too close. And we just say, listen, just, you know, depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That's actually proven um, medically in a lot of ways because relational stress um, actually can tear you up mentally, uh, chemically, biologically, physically. Uh, digestive systems can go whack. I mean, all this different stuff that it's just a stress. I mean, it's a stress related to this uh, being, kind of tearing it. You know, kind of it's like, ah, because it's just unhealthy. Maybe many of you, I have a stomach condition. I've had it all my life. But when my mind starts kind of getting little duality, duplicity, hypocrisy, whatever, or just kind of thinking about things too much, it literally affects my digestive system, literally to the point where I either lose an appetite, well, we just leave it there, you know. So it's like it just isn't isn't fun at all. But what's interesting, because I'm so weird, I've actually tested it. So I've been feeling okay. I was like, you know, I think a lot of my pain, discomfort, these things are related to my thought patterns. So me being the genius that I am, I just start thinking about things that are really disturbing, disruptive, or kind of stressful. And I've done this more than once. It, it works. It triggers a really bad response. So I'm thinking, okay, well, why can't I just kind of make that correlation before? Because it's just healthier not to be stressed and worried. It's healthier to actually be trusting in the Lord. Let's move along to verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This can't be seen and don't let it slip into being a, um, so I will honor God so I can have my barns filled. It's not a formula. It's not a financial principle. If I do this, I get this. It's a relational truth. It speaks of to honor the Lord is to hold in high regard to 
highly esteemed to to express value. In other words, glorify God with your possessions, with what he's entrusted with you. Know how to manage those, so to speak. Know how to use those in a way that would, would, would honor him. He could be in high regard. I like to think of it this way. Put your money where your heart is. You know, put your money where your heart is. And I know sometimes, you know, you get start talking about money and, and people, we kind of think percentages or we think this or how I, maybe I should just give it all to the Lord. You know, you, you've been entrusted with his assets to use them as a steward, to take care of your family or to manage resources or to handle a, a family inheritance or whatever it may be. Make sure that you're just walking with the Lord and, and you're not holding nothing back. Hey, that's mine, and Sunday morning this is yours. Honor the Lord. Put your money where your heart is. So when you have to write that check for mortgage and you have to take care of this and take care of that, just be aware that God is with you. It's not more spiritual to give everything to God recklessly and claim it's just an act of faith. It's much more spiritual to learn how to walk as a steward, to manage his resources and to honor him. It says, honor the Lord with all your possessions. And there will be increase. You know, he just honors that. He, he blesses it when we honor him. And there's principles he shows. Because, you know, God, God is not about us not having things. It's not about we shouldn't have stuff that makes us more spiritual. It's not, a, not an issue. The Bible is very clear. Some people lived in poverty and some lived in phenomenal wealth. You look at Solomon and you look at others, you know, that were in complete poverty. So there's a full range in the scripture. The difference is, and the thing we want to remember, it's not when you have stuff, it's when stuff has you. When you the stuff has you and you live for it more than you, and you're not actually being honest with yourself and that kind of thing. So be, just recognize, learn to just kind of put your money where your heart is and then let God show you how to, to honor him and distribute appropriately and accordingly in regards to yeah, what he would show you. Verse 11, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. It would be a very unloving, lazy, selfish, and disrespectful for a father to not discipline their son when they're out of line. When the, when the father knows a little punk keeps it up, he's going to end up in jail. I just know that's what's going to happen. But I don't want to deal with him, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I mean, a father has to say, hey, listen, I want to bring correction before he goes too far the wrong direction. And so you have to chasten. There's a, it just speaks of just this, this disciplining and correcting and, and the various things. And, and we live in a culture that started, gosh, in the 60s with a lunatic by the name of Dr. Spock, I think it was, who just decided, hey, it's all love, man, free love, everything's love. You shouldn't discipline your children, allow their free expression, don't interfere with their ability to grow and, and expand and understand everything. Just let them do what they want to do. Be loving. What a moron. I don't know how he got the doctorate. But you do that with anybody. You are feeding, you're creating a selfish monster. And somehow that was, that was readily accepted. Uh, not just him and others. They readily accepted that. And of course, I don't know why I have to look back at the 60s. It seems to be pretty popular right now too. But nonetheless, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. This portion, I want to wrap up. Trust. Learning to trust, trust in the Lord. Trust promotes rest. 
trust is like the soil that rest can even come forth from. So turn with me. We're going to just glance at a portion in Hebrews. It's a quarter till, so we've got a few more minutes I want to spend on this. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to get, begin in verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So there is a promise of rest, and we're going to just catch a portion of this. Of course, you know, um, God spoke of it for the, in the Old Testament. He spoke of this rest they could have, but they didn't have it. They didn't experience it. He, he gave them instruction, give them direction. If you do this, it'll go well for you. This is my direction, my guidelines for you. If you go against it, it will not work out so well. And it'll be painful and, and, and you won't be resting because you'll be restless. So here we're told that there's this promise, but some of them came short. And we should be aware, lest we would come short of it. Verse 2, for indeed, the gospel, the good news of God, even in the Old Testament, you know, the prophecies of the Messiah, the good news, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So they heard the word, but they didn't take hold of it. Do you see what's presented there? They heard, and, and he's obviously referencing those in the Old Testament. We're told in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 that what they did is actually was, is recorded for our admonition or our learning. We're, we're to learn from their mistakes, so to speak. Well, they had the, the miracles of God. They've seen the leading hand of God. They've seen the power of God, but they didn't take that knowledge. They didn't take that experience. They didn't take that observable truth and stir it in, mix it in with faith, believing in the God who they had seen the, the evidence of and the truth of. So he warns us, basically saying, you know, um, the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. So he said in verse one, we should fear lest we don't do that. Verse three, for we have believed to enter that, for we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So the, the, the rest that he promised them, he swore you're not going to have. And it wasn't because he just pulled it away from them. It's because they wouldn't be obedient. They wouldn't, you know the story, you know the history in the Old Testament. They wouldn't quit complaining. They were always complaining. No matter what God did, no matter what he provided, oh, it was better back in Egypt. Oh, what, in captivity, making bricks and getting beat? And you're saying that was better? They did. That's literally what they're saying. Even though God was providing all these different things. And so he says, you're not going to enter my rest because you can't enter it in disobedience. You can't just do it your way and somehow it's going to be a Frank Sinatra special and it'll work out. Just do it your way. Well, let's move on down to verse 11 and see how this all ties together. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The word was given to them, the history and the heritage and and all this phenomenal relationship with God, but they didn't have it. And he said, let's, let's be diligent to enter that rest, 
lest we follow their example. And here's one thing to see how we enter the rest, how we grow in trust. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So it's saying that the word of God, this this time when we'll, we'll be in it, we'll read it, or we're listening to something on the radio, or sitting in a, maybe hearing a message, and it's just like that person is just, he knows your your life. Somehow he checked your email or he knows too much about you. And it seems like the messenger is the one that's got it all figured out. It's not the messenger. It's the very word of God that cuts through. It kind of, it does this beautiful heart surgery and it gets right down to the core. It separates the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So what happens sometimes is we become religious and stiff-necked and stubborn. And I've seen it way too many times. I know it in my own life. And as a pastor, I engage with a lot of people, you know, at times that this is a challenge. Because they won't let the word of God be the truth of God. Oh, no, it's not that. Or no, it wasn't me. It was her. It was this. It was that. It was them. It was those. And, and, And pride prevents them from letting the word of God do the work of God. And we need to be cut to the core, agreed? God doesn't cut us to, to tear us down. He, he cuts to, to liberate us and build us up because he knows, man, if you hold on to this, this pride that you think is okay, you won't even call it pride. You have other ways to describe it. As it grows, it's going to tear you up. So the word of God then cuts and, and it goes and it gets deeper than the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And guess what? There's no creature hidden. You know, we think, well, you know, I had a guy say one time, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that, you know, I mean, God's very gracious because I was doing, dealing with a situation and doing these things, and, and I never got punished. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold up. You measure the grace of God and, and the, the patience of God. You, you discern whether he's actually concerned by how hard he comes down on you? That's a very demented way of measuring a relationship. Because, because he wasn't getting busted for his sin, he, he figured God was okay with that sin. Let me, let me ask you to read your Bible. Because it never works out well. It never works out well for people to embrace and engage and to hold on to certain things. And, and other people will forget it. But God loves you too much. He will not forget it. So you know, it cuts to the core, the, the, the depth of who we are. We, we, we're, we're, we are known by God as only he can know us. We can be known by other people and get a thumbs up. But God's like, I, I really want to free you from this. And read what it says. This is what stirs us, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see that exhortation? To trust in the Lord, we learn to know the character of God. We see a glimpse here and a reminder that Jesus, he knows what you're going through. 
And to learn to rest in the Lord, we start realizing the truths of God that he actually brings us peace. He offers us peace to us that we can experience um, the comfort of a, of a gracious and kind and just and forgiving God who is our creator. So I want to pray, and then we're just going to have a few minutes left. And I just want you to just, if you, you could chat with each other, but I, I really encourage you just, I'm going to pray, and I'll stay up here, and then I'll say a few things afterwards. But just let whatever's kind of ruminating in your mind and resonating from tonight, figure out how you're going to remember it. You know, because it's easy to leave here and, you know, slip slide all the way home or whatever, and then go on to the next day and the next day and the next thing. You know, if the God of creation has stirred something in my heart, your heart, revere that, hold that close, figure out how to, to retain it and to see what he says and mull it over. So let's just pray and then we'll have a little quiet time. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. What a beautiful thing that you would walk us through and teach us your truths. And even as you do, Lord, we sometimes wonder, you know, how, how this all works out. How do we do this? Thank you, God, that you are the perfect father. You've conveyed that you're the mediator, the go-between, the one who would intercede, the great high priest between God and man. And you know, you sympathize, you're aware of, of the challenges we face. For you came as a man. You lived a perfect life. And then you willingly lay down your life for the forgiveness of our sins. And we just thank you, God. And I would ask, God, teach us how to walk closer with you. Teach us how to rely upon you. That you, God, would show me, show us, each one of us individually, how to trust in you with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. And you would direct our steps. That we would have that knowledge of your love, your forgiveness, your strength. That we would come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you, God. Just take this time and just kind of have a little quiet time just to reflect on what maybe God has spoken to you. We'll take a few minutes and then I'll close us in prayer. God, may we take these truths you've shown us. May you teach us how to mix them with faith, how to have faith stirred in. You bring in our personality, our individuality. You bring in everything about us. You teach us these truths and show us how to impart, take hold of, to walk by faith in a way that honors you. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Amen.